Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NABIP's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your healthcare happy hour. Hello. We hope you're looking forward to NABIF's Capital Conference from February 26th through March 1st. We will cover everything you need to know before you go on next week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour. But today, we have another very important topic to discuss. At the end of December, we discussed a new proposed rule on policy and technical changes to the Medicare and Medicare Advantage programs. There were a few provisions in the draft regulation that directly impacted independent Medicare agents. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, Marcy Buckner returns to talk about the comment letter we just submitted to the administration with our questions and concerns regarding this proposed rule. So before we dive into specifics of this proposed rule and our responses to certain provisions, what are some of NAPIP's general concerns with this proposed rule? Well, in general, we want to make sure that CMS knows that we are in agreement about a lot of the fraudulent activity and unscrupulous actors that have seeped into the Medicare Advantage and Part D markets. We want to make sure that beneficiaries are protected, especially when it comes to Medicare marketing, but we want to make sure that the rules that are put in place in order to protect those beneficiaries aren't rules that then will create barriers for beneficiaries to be able to access licensed and certified agents and brokers who are the best professionals to be able to assist seniors and other Medicare beneficiaries in enrolling in the plan that best suits their needs. So we really want to make sure that we're, we're pointing that out and that we are pointing out the entities that are being confused with agents and brokers. And I know we're going to talk about this in a little bit when we talk about the definition of TPMO, third-party marketing organization. But we also suggested that there are some other areas where agents and brokers need to be differentiated in the rules. And that comes down to making sure that lead generators are treated differently than agents and brokers and that different types of marketing companies are addressed in this. We also pointed out, as we have in the past, that a lot of these bad actors, that the rules, these rules in the previous set of Medicare marketing rules, a lot of those bad actors that they're they're seeking to address are entities that are offshore and they're with beyond the reach of CMS and some of these regulations but then they're holding licensed and certified agents to a higher standard that's almost impossible to meet when they aren't the entities that are engaging in this fraudulent activity. So let's talk a bit more, particularly about the proposed marketing changes in this draft rule. So what marketing changes would this rule implement if finalized as is? 
some of the changes and, and thank you for for wording it that way dan that if it's finalized as is again this is a proposed rule i know i usually try to remind you guys about that when we're talking about regulations what's proposed which means it's pending and we're commenting on what has been released versus what is final so these are comments that we're submitting on a proposed rule they aren't final yet when they are final we'll be back to tell you about them and any changes but for right now these are proposed rules and here for the general marketing guidelines there are some pieces and and like i said some of the this we do support so they're putting restrictions on advertisements making sure that carriers and different entities are not placing advertisements about benefits that are not available to the beneficiaries that are in the geographic area that's targeted by those advertisements, whether it's a TV, print, whatever medium in which those advertisements are released, that they're only advertising what's available within that geographic area. And also that they're not advertising savings that could be based on very individual specific situations so that they're not saying that there are $0 plans available when those plans are only going to be available to a really small minority of beneficiaries in that area that meet very specific requirements for those savings, or they're not saying you can save $150 here. So just again, tightening up some of that language, which we do think will be beneficial for beneficiaries to make sure that they're understanding what is available in their area. And then there are other pieces that are just requiring that certain language be disclosed in a, in a font that is actually, you know, legible. So requiring um, different pieces to be in at least a 12 point font if it's in, in a print ad or is spoken at the same speed if it's a different piece in a television or radio or podcast ad and that they aren't putting in some of the disclaimers of only available in your geographic area that they're not saying it really fast like that that they're saying only available in certain geographic areas that they're saying it at the same speed that everything else is being said so we we do support this because we know it can be very confusing when you see those ads and then there's the a last screen with really tiny print that no one can read that gives a clarification on what actually is available and that those $100 plans aren't available and things like that. So these are some areas that we do support in the general marketing changes. As folks know, and as you mentioned previously, one of the biggest issues that we've had with recent Medicare marketing rules is the definition of third-party marketing organization or TPMO. This proposed rule would establish an oversight plan on TPMOs and agents. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what we said in response? Do they acknowledge that agents should not be considered TPMOs? They acknowledged our previous comments about the fact that we believe that agents and brokers should not be defined as a third-party marketing organization, a TPMO. In the preamble, so before they get into the very specifics of the, the proposed regulation and, and how they're striking certain sections and adding new sections, the proposed rule actually includes several pages of preamble where they explain what they're doing in the rules because sometimes it can be a little tricky to read through the legalese of how they're changing things. And so in the preamble, they do address that there have been concerns about the definition of TPMO from the previous rules. And this is acknowledging very specifically our comments about this. However, in the preamble, they do state specifically that they will not be changing the definition of third-party marketing organizations. So we 
are still stuck with the definition where independent agents and brokers are still being defined as being a third party marketing organization, which we strongly disagree. Beyond that, getting to the point that Dan brought up, so that is just CMS revisiting and clarifying those previous rules and that they're not changing that definition. In this proposed rule, the changes that they are providing or suggesting would be that carriers have some sort of oversight on TPMOs and independent agents and brokers. This, we think, is a also a result of some of the conversations that we had with CMS, specifically about some of the requirements that we saw in the previous proposed rule, those reporting requirements, and we'll circle back around to those in a few minutes. But with those reporting requirements, we were talking to them about the confusing information that was coming out from carriers. Oftentimes, it was not accurate along with what we saw from CMS or that we saw that carriers were providing guidance that was different from carrier to carrier when we knew that CMS was trying to have a standard amongst all of them. And so for agents to be getting this information from carriers that isn't, is either accurate or, or very different, is very confusing. And so we think that the effort here from CMS to suggest that some type of oversight be put in place for carriers over TPMOs is to make sure that there is a better plan of how carriers are going to be working with TPMOs and agents and brokers that are contracted with them to make sure that they're getting the appropriate information to be in compliance with a lot of these different items. And like I said, the recording requirements are a great example of where this just wasn't taking place and agents and brokers weren't getting updates on the new regulations as, as they should from the entities that should be supporting them. So this is larger than just what's going to be in these proposed rules. They didn't have exactly what they were proposing as what the oversight would be specifically. So we did request that we be involved in any development of an oversight plan that they would be putting in place because we do believe obviously that our input would be invaluable to make sure that whatever rules come out of this will actually reflect the business model and the way that agents and brokers interact with the carrier and the needs that you have and what is realistic for a carrier to put in place for any type of oversight for an agent. Speaking of TPMOs, the disclaimer that all TPMO members have to read to Medicare beneficiaries is touched upon in this proposed rule. So what did we say here? So there were some changes with this disclaimer, and the changes are a result of our previous comments about the required disclaimer, although the result in this proposed rule isn't quite what we requested. So those of you in the Medicare market probably remember when the, the previous marketing rule came out, it required TPMOs to provide a disclaimer at the beginning of their enrollment call with the disclaimer saying that they do not represent all of the plans in their area. And if the beneficiary would like more information about Medicare plans, they should contact 1-800-MEDICARE or Medicare.gov. Our response to that was that we do have agents that represent all of the plans in their area. So requiring them to read a disclaimer that says that they don't represent all of the plans isn't an accurate portrayal of what that agent does. And it's requiring them to say something that's not true. So 
we respectfully asked for the disclaimer to be repealed and for you all not to have to read that. Instead, they provided different options on the disclaimer. And now if you do work with all of the carriers in your market, the disclaimer you would read would be, I do work with all of the carriers in this Medicare market and those carriers are, and then you list them out. And then you would still be required to say, if you would like more information, contact 1-800-MEDICARE or medicare.gov. The other option, if you do not work with all of the carriers in your area, would be to say, I do not work with all of the carriers in this area, but I do work with, and then you list those carriers out, but then you would still be required to say if they want more information to contact 1-800-MEDICARE or medicare.gov. This, like I said, is still not an ideal solution to this, we are asking about a number of different pieces here for clarification and to try to make this easier. We suggested that these disclaimers um, not have to be read for returning clients. They are probably already familiar with their agent that they're working with and the carriers that, that the agent represents. Instead, it should only apply to cold calls and, like I said, should not apply to phone calls with existing clients where the broker is already the servicing agent or their agency holds the broker of record designation. We also believe if a beneficiary contacts the TPMO or independent agent or broker that the requirement to provide this disclaimer also should not apply. And then on top of this, there's also a requirement that the disclaimer be available in a number of different languages to make sure that the beneficiary is hearing or seeing, reading the disclaimer in the language that the beneficiary uses. We noted that in some cases, this requirement, especially if agent is receiving a phone call from a, a beneficiary that they don't already have a relationship with, it's very difficult for them to be able to answer the phone and provide a disclaimer in the language in which the other person is comfortable with when they weren't expecting that call, a call from a beneficiary that saw their number somewhere. So that just doesn't make sense. And it makes it very hard when this disclaimer has to be provided within the first five minutes of a call. Sometimes that five minutes can be used determining what language is best to communicate in, and you may not be able to get to the disclaimer in that time. So all a lot of very important operational pieces here where, again, we're, we're not pleased with the disclaimer. We would like that to be taken out of the language, but if we're not able to do that, we would like to see some of these other changes to make this requirement a little more feasible for you all to be able to comply with. So next, there is a provision on beneficiary contact relating to Part D sponsors. So what's that about and how do we feel about it? So in the proposal, if a Part D sponsor reaches out to beneficiaries regarding plan business, the Part D sponsor has to provide notice to all beneficiaries that the plan contacts at least once annually in writing of the individual's ability to opt out of future calls regarding the plan business. We are asking for clarification on this, on what exactly planned business means or what those calls would be. So something that we pointed out is that we don't believe that beneficiaries should be able to opt out of contact from their broker of record since you are bound to service that policy. And this could result in harm to the beneficiary if 
they opt out of contact and you aren't able to reach out to them about something that could impact their plan and their coverage and their availability to be able to access care and have that covered. So instead, we recommended that we get more guidance on what exactly those plan business calls would be and what the requirement would be, along with additional notice to prevent beneficiaries from receiving multiple notices about this, which could lead, again, to further confusion on what exactly they're being contacted about. So regarding marketing, the proposed rule would also prohibit marketing events from taking place within a certain amount of time after an educational event. So what does this mean and what did we say in our response to this provision? Yeah, so the proposed rule would prohibit marketing events from taking place within 12 hours of an educational event at the same location. So if you are providing an educational event and you're doing a lunch or a coffee, you would not be able to to then engage in an enrollment event at that same location if you're at a civic center or something like that or a church or pharmacy. CBS sometimes does these educational events, you would not be able to then go into an enrollment event within 12 hours at that same location. We noted that the same location is defined as the entire building or adjacent buildings and that we would like more clarification on this. There were also restrictions in the proposed rule about being able to collect scope of appointment cards at educational events and whether they would also be able to hand out business cards at those events in case a beneficiary is asking for it so that they can follow up and contact the agent after the educational event. There just seemed to be a lot of restrictions that were being placed that would prevent anyone that did attend the educational event to even be able to contact the person that, you know, even with after 12 hours, if they've gone home and thought about it, to be able to reach out and find out how to enroll in the plans that they had just learned about. So while we understand they're trying to protect agents from feeling pressured after going to an educational event and feeling as though they immediately need to enroll in what they just learned about without having time to really process and and think about it, we also noted that some of the restrictions that are there are preventing the beneficiary from even being able to follow up, not just the agent from being able to reach out to those people that were in attendance at the educational event. There is a portion of the proposed rule that deals with scope of appointment forms. So what changes are being proposed here? The proposed rule requires that at least 48 hours before the meeting that beneficiaries agree upon and record the scope of appointment with the agent. We pointed out that there are occasions where 48 hours is too long to wait between having a signed scope of appointment and being able to meet with and enroll the beneficiary in coverage. Some examples that we gave are, you know, if it's the very end of the month and they need to have their enrollment done before the first of the following month to ensure that coverage will begin on the first of the month, that 48 hours could prevent that beneficiary from being able to enroll and it could postpone coverage for at least a month in some cases. 
So we suggested that there at least be a waiver incorporated into this so that a beneficiary could sign a waiver to that 48-hour requirement and allow them to go ahead and engage with an agent if they, they felt that they were ready and prepared to make a decision about their enrollment and did not want to wait that 48 hours before doing so. Then, one of the big provisions proposed in this rule is the creation of a pre-enrollment checklist that must be reviewed with enrollees prior to the end of an enrollment. So what would this checklist entail? Yes, so they're describing the checklist as a standardized communications material that plans must provide to prospective enrollees with the enrollment form so that the enrollees understand important plan benefits and rules. That's the description for the checklist. They do not say exactly what should be in the checklist. That's something that we offered ourselves up for to assist with in developing what the checklist would include. We think that agents and brokers working with several carriers, as you do, would be able to provide kind of a best practices of what you see carriers using and what you use yourself when going through and reviewing plan benefits with beneficiaries. Something that they are saying here is that when they audit calls and listen to some of the enrollments, CMS feels as though not everything that should be discussed comes up during these enrollment calls and that there are items that are left out. Well, when we ask them about that and say, well, what do you think isn't being discussed? Where do you think there are flaws in the system? And they're not always able to tell us what they see is wrong with these enrollment calls, just that they don't think everything is being discussed. So we feel like having this checklist that we would hopefully assist in putting together would help to ensure that all of the items that CMS feels needs to be covered would be covered and that agents and brokers would have this extra kind of insurance that they've gone through the, the checklist and everything has been discussed with their beneficiary before finalizing that enrollment. Is there anything else we noted in our comments that we haven't covered already? We did circle back and talk about those call recordings, and I referenced this earlier in, in talking about our comments. We pointed out once again the burdens that are placed upon you to record those enrollment calls, although the proposed rule does clarify that it's just the enrollment calls that need to be recorded not calls that are setting up a future appointment or calls asking about one specific drug, but just the calls that lead to an enrollment. However, we still feel that this is overly burdensome and have asked that they make the call recording voluntary and that if a agent or broker is working with a client that is a returning client that they already have an existing relationship with, meaning that they have already enrolled this person in some type of Medicare plan, that also be an exemption from having to record that call. If you all are already working with someone and have an existing relationship, it's not likely that you're fraudulently enrolling them. We also pointed out that the time frame for which you all are required to keep these recordings is much too long. We know that that the rule that you keep the recordings for 10 years is based on HIPAA requirements. 
However, those requirements were put in place before electronic storage of audio files existed. And this is using a rule that's based on maintaining paper copies of other types of storage and applying it to electronic voice recordings, which is just outdated and inaccurate. So we pointed that out as well and suggested that they reduce storage requirements to just beyond the plan year. It is now time for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So, Marcy, who are we toasting to this week? This week, we're toasting to John Blum from CMS. He will be joining us at Capital Conference on Tuesday morning, February 28th, to talk about the Medicare marketing rules. I know many of you are eager to hear from the administration on this, and this will be our opportunity to hear from them. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for NAPIP's Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. For more information on NAPIP's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit nabip.org.